And this morning, I want to talk straight to our seniors. I've been sort of Googling uh, popular graduation titles. And here are the things people normally talk about. Believe and you'll succeed. This title, Dare to Dream. Imagine the impossible. And this is my favorite. A tassel is worth the hassle. But your preacher has chosen to speak today on failure, okay? Doesn't quite fit the others, but I think that you'll see it's appropriate. Listen to this quotation from an MIT professor. Everyone is talking about success, but failure is a far more common experience. It is very important to acknowledge failure and learn how to cope with it. You see, what I don't want you to do is walk into life unexpected and hit failure and not be prepared. And let's talk about the most devastating failure available out there. And that is to be rejected, especially to be rejected by people who you want to accept you. Rejected by the people that you love and hopefully they love you. And yet that's a part of life. And this morning as we continue to walk through the gospel of Luke, we see Jesus... And Jesus has been been baptized, and he's defeated Satan in the wilderness. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's traveling around Galilee. He's preaching. I mean, he's blowing and going and doing miracles, and everybody's applauding, and everything looks great. And then he decides to go to what you think would be an exciting experience with all this notoriety. He's going back to his hometown. And certainly he expects, you know, this to be the place that he would be embraced more so than any other place. And yet as we watch this story, at the end of this story, no one applauds Jesus. No one gives him a hug and says, welcome home. No one says, would you go out to lunch with us afterwards because we're so proud of you. They try to run him off a cliff. So let's look at the details. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. One of Luke's themes is that Jesus is so powerful because he's full of the Holy Spirit. He was teaching in our synagogues, and everyone, here's the contrast, everyone praised him. And then he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, as he went to the synagogue, As was his custom, Jesus attended church regularly. As much as he had a problem with the synagogue, he attended regularly. He's there. After the festival, excuse me, I flipped pages. Uh, He went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Now, more than likely, there's a liturgy of scripture reading and prayers in the synagogue service. Most people think there are about five scripture readings. Some maybe from the Pentateuch, some from the Psalms, some from the prophets. And here is Jesus, and he's given the scroll of Isaiah. Now, whether the scripture was already picked out for him, or whether he turned to this passage, we really don't know. But he actually turns to what we would say is Isaiah chapter 61. And listen what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was a messianic prophecy. 
Now what's interesting if you go back to Isaiah chapter 61 is that Jesus cuts the final line of the prophecy. Back in Isaiah 61 it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of God's vengeance. Jesus is not here to talk about bad news, my friends. He's here to talk about good news. Oh, the day of God's vengeance will come, but this is the day of celebration of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we continue to read, then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the tenant and sat down. You see, in that day you stood to read, you sat to, t- to teach. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Here's his first line. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's where everything started to go south. Because what Jesus is saying with that one line is that I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. I am the Messiah. And then we see a whiplash turn in popularity in verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. That sounds pretty nice. And then the rumor started. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Oh, uh, um, someone whispers that, and someone says, oh, no, no, you remember, Joseph's not the real daddy. And someone else says, oh, great, you remember, his mom was pregnant out of wedlock. You remember, he was just this skinny little carpenter. I mean, who in the world does he think he is coming back? We know him. We've seen him. We know the background of his family. Who does he think he is that he is the Messiah? You've got to be kidding. Now, you've got to watch this, guys. Because even if Jesus couldn't hear that, Jesus can read minds, can't he? I always think if I'm ever around Jesus, I've got to keep telling myself, don't think that, don't think that. Because, because he's going to catch you. And he catches them. And Jesus said in verse 23, surely you will quote the proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. He said, I know what you're thinking. This guy can't be the Messiah Prove it. Then Jesus begins pretty strong talk. Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus understands this proverb that it's always hard to go home. That the people who have raised you and the people around you and the people who saw you when you had pimples always wonder if you really could be somebody special. I remember that was one of my great fears in moving back to my hometown of Montgomery after being gone quite a few years. And I remember coming back to be a preacher and a really sharp guy in our church cornered me after a few months and he said, you know, buddy, I was a little bit leery about you coming back. I remembered you as a youth minister. Sorry about this, Casey. Uh, And I thought you were just going to be some kind of lightweight, which you may say, amen, he was right, okay? And so you remember, you know what it's like to go back to the people who know everything about you. And Jesus says, that's what's going on with you guys. And then Jesus tells two stories from the Old Testament that flattens them. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, and the sky was shut for three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. That's the Jews. He wasn't sent to the Jews. But to a widow 
in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Elijah is not sent in the middle of the famine to the Jews. He's sent to a widow, a Gentile's house, where she can produce miraculously food and water without it stopping. They didn't like that story. They don't like this one either. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet none of them were cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Everybody's got leprosy, but God chooses to heal a Gentile officer. Here Jesus is saying again, like he says, the gospel's for everybody, and you guys who are rejecting me are rejecting the good news of Jesus, but God loves everybody. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. Furious. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built. In order to think about a sermon that a bad reaction, to throw them off the cliff, throw him. And then miraculously, he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, just a moment, my friends. Can you imagine how Jesus felt here? I mean, you're coming back. I mean, put yourself in his place. You're talking in front of your neighbors and your cousins and your half-brothers and sisters and your mom, and you expect of all place to be embraced, and yet he's not. In fact, we know that even his half-brothers and sisters at this point did not believe he was the Messiah. And so Jesus himself experiences failure, and the worst kind of failure, which is rejection from the people who should love him the most. And so this morning, I want you to learn, seniors with me, how to handle failure. Because failure is going to be even more common in your life than success. Three points. First of all, Jesus knew who he was. In the midst of all of this doubt, he knows that he is the Messiah. In fact, he knows that he is God's chosen one. He heard those words at his baptism. This is my beloved son, the father said, in whom I am well pleased. It was that, with that identity, he went into the world. He knew who he was. It's that identity that gave him confidence. And what I want to say to our seniors more than anything else is, you've got to find your identity in Jesus Christ. Because the world's going to try to press you in this mode. The world is going to whisper you're somebody different. And, And yet that's... Why the Bible spends so much time telling us who we are in Christ. Read the book of Ephesians. Over 30 descriptions of who we are. We're chosen. We're predestined. We are redeemed. We are the people of God. God wants you to know who you are. And at your baptism, and many of you are baptized right here in this water, I believe the same words were spoken over you that were spoken over Jesus. Because those quotations were not about just the Messiah. They were about the people of God. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you. Because I can guarantee you today, temptation's going to come. And, and when you don't fall to it, and you don't fall in line with the crowd, you're going to experience rejection. Everybody else is is joining the party and scene, and you say no. Everyone else is falling to sexual temptation, and the person you're with thinks you're crazy because you're unwilling. Everybody else in the dorm is sleeping when you're getting up to go to church, and they're wondering, why are you doing that? Everybody else is participating in all these activities that you, as a, a child of God, feel like, you know, I just don't need to be there. I don't need to do that. 
Other people are excluding people, maybe because of the color of their skin, or because their economic background, or their social background, or the way they look. And yet you've been called to love everybody. You must know that if you don't let God tell you who you are, this world will tell you quickly. Jesus knew who he was. Second, Jesus knew what he was about. That's the whole point of this statement here, of Isaiah chapter 61. It's like Jesus right here at the beginning of his ministry is giving his mission and his vision. If you read the book of Luke, most people think Luke 19.10 is Jesus' mission statement. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. That's the theme of Luke. And when we get here to Luke chapter 4, I think he gives the vision statement. Everybody has different views of mission and vision statement. A mission statement to me is a a simple proclamation of what you're about. The vision statement is how you in particular will fulfill that mission. And here's Jesus' vision statement. It's so specific. He's going to proclaim good news to the poor. That's not just talking about economically poor. That's talking about people that are impoverished within their spirit. You see, most of us walk around like a beggar in life, no matter how much money you've got, with a cup trying to get it filled. And we try all kinds of people and activities hoping they're going to finally fill our cup, and they can't because only God can fill that cup. Only God can take you out of your poverty. He proclaims good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners. Yes, one of the great ministries of God's people is to go into the prisons. But it's also to go to those people that aren't in the prisons who are imprisoned in addictions and other issues. He's going to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians that Satan has blinded the minds of people. You see, here's the problem in the culture that we live in that you're going to face is the truth that we embrace, the truth that Scripture teaches. Satan's going to try to come in, and he's going to try to blind you from those things. And that's why the world's such a messed up place, because we're blinded to spiritual reality. And Jesus says, I've come to proclaim, I've come to open your eyes so you can truly see. I've come to set the oppressed free. My friend, there are lots of people in our world who live in political and economic and social oppression. It's prevalent across the globe. Then my favorite line, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That sort of sums it all up. What was the year of the Lord's favor? It was that 50-year year of jubilee. Every 50 years, God's people were called to a year of of jubilee in which, catch how awesome it was. Every debt was, was released and every slave was freed. And that's what Jesus has come to do. Because it's his church. That's what we're about. One thing that's really, really encouraged me as I've studied this passage these last few weeks is Jesus' mission and vision statement almost perfectly matches the mission and vision statement of this church. We're here to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. That's the mission you grew up with. The vision is that we be a community that shows the love of Christ to those experiencing life struggles. Those who are the oppressed, the poor, those who are engulfed and entangled in sin. Now let's be very clear here. 
in the history of mankind, more times than not, the haves have mistreated the have-nots. Did you hear that? Whether we want to face that or not, it's the truth. The haves have mistreated the have-nots. Those who get in political power, those who get in social esteem, those who have more than others. It's so easy, so natural for the rest to try to keep everybody in their place so that nobody comes into my world. And that's why Jesus came. He said, you know what? I came to help those who are hurting, those who are struggling. That's why I am so thrilled about what's happening in our city right now. I know many have many feelings, but, but I am grateful and can't wait to visit the memorial downtown to peace and justice. And though many of us may not want to have to see that because it's painful what has happened, we need to see it. Because if we don't embrace our past, we will live it out again. It may be a different group of people that we oppress, but it will happen. And so we need to learn and we need to remember so that we never forget. I've been reading a biography recently, just about through with it. Uh, I love biographies, so I read them a lot. So I've been reading the biography of Muhammad Ali. What's Muhammad Ali's favorite line? I am the what? You're an ignorant group of people. I <laughs> excuse me. I am the what? Greatest. I mean, he was just an egomaniac, charismatic guy. Early in his career, he was reviled. People hated him. And you know, by the time he died a couple years ago, he was just a folk hero. Really, really a hero to oppressed people across the world. Possibly the most widely named and known person in the world that was alive. But here's what struck me. Muhammad Ali became a Muslim despite the fact he grew up in a Christian family. But he saw black people like him treated as inferior. He saw churches that were racially segregated. He saw in Louisville, Kentucky, the black and white water fountains. He saw the Christian people, quote unquote, in power who oppressed his own people. And so when he needed meaning in life, he did not come to us. He went to another faith and began to propagate it like crazy. And my friends, we have been called by this vision statement of Jesus to repent of what has happened and to be his people who reach out to those that are oppressed. You see, what I want to say to you is if you don't know your mission, then, then you're going to have to fill your life with something. And what will probably happen is you'll fill your life with mind-numbing activities. You'll spend your life on social media. You'll spend your life playing video games. You'll spend your life in all kinds of activities to escape what's going on in your mind. You'll get involved with addictive behaviors just to escape. You'll watch, like many people in this audience, endless sports center just because you're bored. Or endless HTV because you don't have anything else to do. If you don't know your mission, it will be filled by other things. And if you don't know your mission, Satan's going to step in and Satan's going to make you a person that's missionless who's just walking around with that empty cup trying to fill it. You see, when, when Jesus' mission fills your life, a lot of things change. And that's what I love about our youth ministry. 
I love how so many of you, you seniors have been on mission trips to underprivileged people where you have served and you have loved in the name of Jesus. I love what I witnessed a couple months ago. I was speaking at Limitless. That's our Wednesday night teen activity. And I was sitting in the back of the room before I spoke. And you guys were worshiping. About 15 minutes in, a kid walked in. It was obvious he didn't know anybody. Little, probably seventh, eighth grade kid. Walks in, he sits on the back row all by himself. And I'm just, just watching. Then I saw Reed Black and Trace Ott get up from the cool people athletic section and walk over and surround that little kid. My friends, that's the vision of the mission of God that we must embrace. Because when you've got a vision, you've got reason to live. I spoke at a retreat a few weeks ago in, in Cookville, Tennessee. I was doing a, a men's retreat, but they have a really great campus ministry, Tennessee Tech there, and a lot of kids from the campus ministry came. I met this young man, he's a senior there, uh, named Joey Creekbaum. What a name, Creekbaum. And I, I, I got in contact with him, and man, this guy was just so fired up for the Lord. He'd just become a Christian uh, while he was in college. His parents were not Christian. I'm getting texts from him yesterday. Because yesterday was his graduation day. And his whole family's coming to his graduation. And he's like, buddy, would you pray for me? Because my whole family's going to be here. And they don't know Jesus. And we're going to find ourselves in a home where they're celebrating my graduation. And I want the courage to stand up and tell them about Jesus Christ. Amen? My friends, that's the kind of mission that our Lord was on. That's the kind of mission that he's given you in your life. So our goal here as a church today is to launch you into that mission. Whether you're walking on a new campus or you're walking in a new job, that you would know who you are and that you would know who you're about because here's the truth of what you're going to experience. You're going to be, you're going to be swimming upstream. You're in a culture that does not share your values or does not want to recognize Jesus Christ as truly the Lord of life. So one more lesson from Jesus. How do you respond Jesus knew how to respond. Number one, learn from Jesus. Don't be surprised. It, it, it's just going to happen. You're going to have moments in your life where the people that you're wanting to impress, the people you're wanting to like you the most are going to reject you, oftentimes because of your faith. And what my prayer is, is that you've been, you've been prepared for this. Many of us as parents have made some grave mistakes at least from my estimation, that we try to protect our children from way too much. We've got too many helicopter moms and dads who are picking our kids up every time they fall down, who are trying to solve every problem, who are pleading our kids' case every time they get in trouble at school when we ought to be, you know, getting them in trouble at home too. There was a study actually in psychology today. Here, here's the article that I'm referring to. It was called The Nation of Wimps. And it says what's happened, if, if we don't allow ourselves to endure failure and frustration and rejection, we don't ever grow. In fact, here's the quotation. Kids need to feel badly sometimes. We learn from experience and we learn through bad experiences. Through failure, we learn to cope. I like what um, Winston Churchill said. Success is stumbling from failure to failure with no lack of enthusiasm. I love that. So, so expect it. 
Be okay with it. Actually, embrace it. Number two, don't give up. The, the problem with so many of us is that we give up before we achieve our dreams. Two of my favorite examples. One is Thomas Edison who, you know, invented the light bulb. And listen, Thomas Edison, it took him 10,000 attempts before he got a good one. And here's what he said. I have not failed. I have simply found 10,000 ways that won't work. I love that persistence. You guys don't even know who Thomas Edison was, okay? Let's go to James uh, to James Dyson. You ever seen the bagless vacuum cleaner? Dyson was a British inventor. He thought there could be such a thing as a bagless vacuum cleaner. It took him 5,126 attempts. And here's what he said. Nothing is really a failure until the moment you quit trying. Don't give up. You'll be tempted. You're going to fall on your face and Satan's going to whisper, it's no use but don't give up. Number three, don't get sidetracked. Jesus was not willing to be a victim of the circumstances even in his hometown. He was willing to be an active participant in the vision of God. And number four, don't shut the door. Even when you fail, don't shut the door. Here's something I've learned just the last few weeks. You probably knew this. But, but this, this story in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes to Nazareth, is not the same story we find in Matthew chapter 13. They're actually two different stories. Jesus goes to Nazareth at the beginning of his ministry, and he's rejected, and he'll go back a couple years later and still face some difficulties. But it does get a little bit better. At this point, the Scripture says... In our story today, he could do no miracles. By the time we get to Matthew 13, he could do a few miracles. And so Jesus kept going back. And the reason he was able to go back is when they rejected him, he did not reject them. He could have brought down fire from heaven. He could have had angels push them over the cliff. But he didn't. They slammed the door in his face. But on his way out, he left the door ajar so that he could go back again. And I say to you, even when the people who love you the most don't understand why you're living so fanatically for Jesus, leave the door open because one day they might listen to you. Okay, as we come to a conclusion here, I'm sure most of you sit in the audience and say, I'm, you know, glad I showed up today. This is a, a nice lesson for our seniors. So glad our seniors got to hear it. And I'm thankful you did too. Because I, I think it prepares you. But if I could be really honest here, I think the lesson I preach today would actually be more important lessons for the rest of us. Because you have faced failure. You have been rejected. You have fallen on your face. And because of that, many of us have quit. And so I want to ask you some questions today. Have you forgotten who you are? Have you forgotten what you're about? Have you lost that amazing biblical quality of perseverance and persistence that says, you know what, I will never be defeated as long as I stand back up. So some of you, you've experienced failure in school. You've experienced failure in relationships. You've experienced failure in marriage. You've experienced failure with addictions. You've experienced financial failure. You've experienced failure with your children. You've experienced, fa- you've experienced failure. 
And I want to talk to you just for a moment. Have you given up? And and could we not learn from Jesus today? It's just to get back up and keep on focused on our mission and our vision and who God calls us to be. Because here's the point I want to land on to end. Failure is an event, not a person. It's an event, not a person. You're not a failure because you failed. That's just an event in your life that could actually make you a better person. In fact, I believe this. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience from the things that he suffered. I believe this rejection in Nazareth from his hometown people prepared Jesus for rejection on the cross from the world. And the failure and rejection you may experience will prepare you for later in life when you face big time rejection. So today, if you're one of our seniors looking at the future and you go, man, I need, I need some prayers for my future. If you're somebody here in this church and somewhere along the way, you've given up on your dreams. You've given up on the dreams of what the church could be, what you could be, how we could impact this world. If today that's where you find yourself, can we learn from Jesus? I love the story of the little girl. They're walking to church, and uh, everything that morning's gone bad. She's messed her dress up. She spilt food on her dress at the, the, the breakfast table. She just, and finally, they're walking up to church, and it's raining, and she falls in the middle of a mud puddle, and her mom is disgusted, and she looks down at this little girl, and she says, what are you going to do next? The little girl looked up and said, I'm going to get up. My friends, is the day the day that you need to get up and get back on the mission of God. If you do, come right now while we stand and sing.